Morena, and welcome to the Dawn Chorus. I'm Bernard Hickey for the Kaka. This is my daily podcast that goes out with my email newsletter via the Kaka on Substack. And I look at the political economy in Aotearoa, what's happening in geopolitics, the global economy, and look at it through the lens of our housing affordability crisis, our climate change inaction crisis, and our child poverty reduction crisis. Today I wanted to have another look in more depth at what's happening with our population growth and with our infrastructure. Yesterday a report came out into the death of a woman from a brain hemorrhage after she went to the Middlemore Hospital Emergency Department and it was overcrowded and she left. The report found that there is systemic overcrowding of emergency departments, uh, and in particular this one at Middlemore Hospital. What's going on here is that in the last 10 years or so, New Zealand's population has grown by about 1.6% per year. That is much faster than we've seen uh, in more than a century, and it's among the fastest population growth in the OECD. In effect, our population grew from 4 million to 5 million in 16 years. Now that is because of very strong net migration of not just people coming here to get residency with work visas or parental visas or humanitarian visas, but also at various points, more than 100,000 per year temporary work visa holders. So these include working holiday makers, people on skilled, skilled category visas, and lots of international students, at least until the beginning of 2020. Now, uh, over the last three to four months, the government has been loosening its migration settings because there is huge demand for workers, obviously, in the economy. Lots of empty jobs, uh, concerns about wage inflation, and the opposition has pledged to remove the restrictions on migration that were put in place during COVID, and in particular at the beginning of this year, because of concerns that our population growth had been too fast, and it was putting too much stress on our infrastructure, which is true. Now, one of the most stressed bits of infrastructure we have at the moment is our hospital system. Understandably, uh, over the last couple of years, but in particular the last year, there's been intense stress because of the COVID outbreak and tens of thousands of COVID admissions have put enormous stress on the system, which is already stressed in winter and has been for some time. It's interesting then to have a look at what the emergency medicine specialists are saying about our healthcare system, given this 1.6% population growth we've had over the last 10 years, and which the Infrastructure Commission uh, says has put enormous strain on our infrastructure, which was already underinvested to the tune of $100 billion over the last 30 years. First up, I wanted to show you, first up I wanted to play you a couple of clips of interviews on RNZ in the last 24 hours 
Firstly, from Kate Allen, who is the New Zealand Chair of the College of Emergency Medicine. She was talking to Rowan Quinn last night on Checkpoint on RNZ and had been asked about this report into the death of this woman and what sort of stress she was seeing in the emergency departments in New Zealand hospitals. It can be incredibly difficult for the staff when you are dealing with overcrowding within a waiting room or within an ambulance bay where sick patients are unable to offload from ambulances because they can't get into the system, they can't be seen to be assessed, it makes it very difficult to be able to pick out those patients that are more unwell than other patients in whose care needs to be prioritised. So it puts the staff in a very vulnerable, and the patients, I must add, in a very vulnerable situation. Um, This is happening across the country in many emergency departments every day. And this is a systemic problem that is due to systemic pressure within the whole health system that is borne out in the emergency department. Our emergency departments are overwhelmed and overcrowded because they are unable to move people out of the emergency department, which is in that 50% figure that you were talking about, where only 50% of people are going through within the six hours. That means that system is blocked and people are unable to access the care they need within the hospital. So the pressure builds back into the emergency department and there is no outflow. So that is what goes back to that, I guess, systemic problem that they're talking about in the report. Can you see a way that that can be fixed? I, I know you're at the emergency end, but how do you see the problem you know, being fixed hospital-wide? This is about everybody coming together to look at solutions and how we can fix this. In essence, we need interventions that um, achieve reductions in hospital occupancy, so we need to free up inpatient beds. So we allow people to move into the system. And so we need to look at ways of doing things differently to allow that to happen. Um, It may also mean we need more infrastructure and investment in infrastructure and investment in staff. Um, And we need to retain and grow our workforce. So if we do put that investment into the infrastructure, that we can actually then staff staff that new infrastructure. That was Kate Allen, who is the New Zealand Chair of the College of Emergency Medicine. This morning, uh, Dr John Bonning, who is a spokesperson also for the College of Emergency Medicine, spoke on RNZ's morning report, again about the sorts of stresses that he was seeing inside the system. Uh, Certainly the the massive overcrowding in EDs is mirrored right across the country in virtually every emergency department. This has been coming um, uh, at us uh, almost a decade, one could say. The, the number of people that turn up to emergency departments has been going up um, uh, um, consistently um, uh, year on year um, uh, for yeah, four decades, in fact. And the, 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 yeah, the crowding that we're experiencing is entirely predictable. It's not some sort of post-pandemic um, uh, blip, and we need to prepare for, uh, for these. Um, and there's stress on the entire system. Everything, um, uh, and, and the, the solutions lie in the whole system as well. The solutions don't lie in the emergency department. It's just manifest there. The hospitals are full. Um, our workforce is drawn very, very thin at the moment. We're very, very short of skilled nurses, um, uh, and and our hospitals are absolutely full. 
uh, you can't run with a hospital at 98% occupancy or whatever Middlemore was um, uh, on this particular evening. Yes, it was. It was 98.5, according to this report. We need uh, more investment in workforce. And there needs to be some more infrastructure. We're going to need some more hospital beds. There does need to be more money given to health. Uh, we are uh, very, very low on the OECD average in terms of health spend. Um, and uh, and we need to um, uh, not treat the acute patients like a surprise. One could say that the solution to constipation isn't a bigger colon. Um, no, we actually we, we need some increase in size and EDs, but it's the hospital that needs to have more beds, more staff, so we can move patients through. It's the patient's that are the sickest ones, the ones that need admission, they're what, uh, the ones that we need to move through. And, uh, the, you know, campaigns for keeping emergency for emergencies don't work because those people that really should be there, such as this woman, often don't come um, and the wrong people defer their care. Um, so it's not necessarily a big emergency event. It's more beds, more wards, more investment in the hospital infrastructure so we can get people in, but then you're still going to need more uh, nursing home beds so you can get them out the other end as well so you can decompress the hospital. It's right across the system. Uh, no, no, Middlemore is our busiest hospital. In fact, it's one of the busiest hospitals in Australasia. Um, uh, but uh, this is absolutely mirrored right across the board, not with quite the numbers that Middlemore sees, but full waiting rooms, full beds, patients in corridors, ramped ambulances, patients that can't even get out of the ambulance because of no physical space, full hospitals. This is right across the entire motu. Just for a comparison, and I do note that you're in Australia and you've got up at, what, 4.15 to talk to us. You obviously feel pretty pretty strongly about this. How, how would you compare it contextually to what you've seen over your career? I mean... Oh, you know, oh, yeah, look, it's the worst I've seen in my career. It's just got inexorably worse. The, 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 the graphs and the pictures of the, of the amount of um, time people wait in emergency departments is quite stark. Is it 2015 that was we were performing really, really well? And it's just gone um, uh, absolutely uh, to pot, as one can say, since then. So uh, uh, ramping ambulances didn't occur in New Zealand until about two years ago. Pa- um, um, uh, there are you know, brand-new hospitals that still have to put patients in corridors. Imagine an elderly person with a broken hip or pneumonia lying in the corridor of an emergency department because they can't be admitted. So this is uh, the worst I've ever seen it by a long stretch. That's Dr John Bonning, who is the spokesperson for the uh, emergency medicine uh, group of doctors uh, that we have in Aotearoa, the College of Emergency Medicine. So in the context of that, uh, a few of us asked questions at the Prime Minister's news conference yesterday about the report. Um, The PM didn't want to go into too much detail and uh, uh, said that the health system would respond to this in time. And uh, I wanted to ask, though, about the government's decisions made in recent weeks about population growth, in effect, and about migration. Now, you could argue that it's a chicken and the egg uh, issue. Uh, If you can't get migrants in to build your hospitals and to staff your hospitals, then you're not going to improve the infrastructure issue. But... um, You'd hope that the government has thought about this in its planning for migration and for population and that uh, it is ensuring that it takes some of the pressure off before it builds uh, more infrastructure. The concern I have is that um, we're going down exactly the same track that we've been on for the last 
20 years or so in which we bring people in to deal with immediate labour shortages and uh, have not built the infrastructure before they come. So uh, I asked the question to the Prime Minister in the wake of last week's decision to remove the planning range for the skilled migrant category and the decisions over the last five months or so by the new Immigration Minister Michael Wood to relax the settings on various temporary and permanent uh, migration uh, categories, uh, which will see at least another 50,000 people come in the next uh, year or so. And also on, that's on top of the 200,000 people who are likely to be granted the special COVID residency visa who were here over the last uh, uh, two to three years. Uh, in effect, um, those who think that we are slowing migration are not correct. There has been a significant um, surge in the number of uh, people not just coming in but also getting residency in the last couple of years. And the question is, have we done enough on infrastructure before we uh, unleash the migration again? So here's the question to the Prime Minister. Prime Minister, um, you've announced some infrastructure changes. Uh, do you think there is an yeah. Do you think there is enough infrastructure being built for the population growth that New Zealand can expect in the next ten to twenty years? Mm. Well, of course, that's one of the reasons that we have the infrastructure commission is to make sure that we have a pipeline of work. Um, but uh, at the same time, I think we have to also be mindful it's not just about schools and hospitals where we do you know, projection work around population growth. One of the areas we've fallen down in the past is areas where we don't always hold all of the levers. Private residential construction, for example. We've had a housing supply shortfall in the tens of thousands. There previously hasn't been perhaps enough government intervention to continue to stimulate supply. My view is that we have rightly taken a different tact by trying to ensure that when we have a, a, a potential for there to be a downturn, that we've continued to stimulate activity in the residential construction space. So that means that whilst we don't have a population plan per se, we already know uh, the shortfall we have. We've been working very hard uh, to uh, plug that gap and we have reduced it. So the Infrastructure Commission said there's a $100 billion shortfall from the mm -hmm. last 30 years mm -hmm. and that another $100 billion will be needed to cope with 0.7% population growth yep. per year. Yep. The last 10 years we've had 1.4% population growth. Why then did the government remove its planning ranges last week on immigration? Uh, sorry, uh, our planning ranges. So that's yep. previously you'll know that for Immigration New Zealand there's often been uh, I think a bit of a false debate of sorts about somehow New Zealand having a cap on immigration that is wrong. And I think sometimes the planning regions have confused that. Uh, what we've been very clear on in our immigration uh, reset and rebalance is that what New Zealand is seeking is to ensure that we give greater certainty. Previously, people have entered the country um, on temporary visas without long-term certainty around their prospects and their families' prospect, and they'll continue to roll over on temporary visas. Now, that impacts our long-term population growth without necessarily uh, affecting residents, residency. 
So our message has been New Zealand, it's not sustainable for us to continue that way, and nor is it fair. And so what we're seeking to do is to give greater certainty to skilled migrants entering into the country that they're able to stay, be much clearer for those for whom they are more likely to be short-term. At least we continue to be one of the highest in the OECD, relying on temporary labour. So, so, what, so, so what then is your expectation about how much migration we're going to have in the next few years? Because you've just removed this planning range, which was there in place by various governments and was used to change the points targets for skilled migrant program. And of course we at the moment are out consulting on the settings for um, skilled migrants, but our belief is that of course we've got to make sure, and you know, you see the, uh, the projections around uh, what we're expecting based on the number of uh, job checks that we're doing at the moment, there's over 50,000 out currently. Um, but, uh, again, we've also got to make sure that alongside that we do have a plan for building long-term housing. If you're asking me what is the precise number of uh, migrants likely to enter into the country, I cannot tell you that number right now. So there we have it. Um, the Prime Minister doesn't know how many people will come into the country because of the changes that she's made. So I went on to ask, so if the government's you know, unleashing the migration, we want to make sure that there is plenty of housing or at least there is plenty of opportunity for housing to be built. And one of the issues, of course, is that a lot of councils have uh, blocked or frustrated efforts to try to improve the number of houses built at a dramatic rate and in particular have limited the amount of land available for new housing but also made it difficult to get land uh, available for brownfields, more intense housing and densification. And we've obviously had a big debate on this over the council elections. So um, I wanted to ask what the government's views were on a couple of the biggest councils effectively thumbing their nose at the government's orders about uh, densification. In particular, the Christchurch City Council uh, before the election decided not to submit its uh, new plan for densification to the government at all, opposed it, and the new mayor opposes it along with much of the rest of the council. And in Auckland, uh, we've seen the um, Auckland Council submit a plan on densification which has cut out most of the isthmus and a big chunk of the new rail line from the CBD to the airport and which housing advocates have said is uh, um, a, also a, um, a defiance of the government's attempts to get extra densification. So I wanted to know how aggressive or what the government was doing to get the councils to do what's necessary. Here's that question again. Prime Minister, on uh, housing in the RMA, um, yeah, what's the government's view on uh, a bunch of councils who have either... Um, not uh, agreed to uh, comply with the densification um, changes made by the government, or in Auckland's case, have submitted a plan which removes most of the bits of Auckland where there needs to be densification. Can I make a general statement, statement on this, because actually, you know, the housing minister and the minister for the environment, I think, are keen to engage with new mayors and new councils. But by and large, what I've seen is a, a general shared view that we have to provide housing for our communities. Rotorua is a really good example. Population growth of over 8,000 people, and in that time, consents numbered 1,500. There just weren't enough houses being built for the population. Now, there's a couple of reasons for that. 
in some cases it may be that there's planning issues, in others it may be that the infrastructure isn't there. We've stepped in to try and turn that around. Just last week announcing further projects, uh, we will be investing in the likes of, for instance, uh, uh, sewage, stormwater, uh, uh, three, essentially three waters to ensure that up to 11,000 houses can be built across communities. But we do need to make sure that we're sitting down and ensuring that uh, we're working together because we, of course, can't fix these issues alone. We need council's support as well. So there's the Prime Minister uh, saying that she'd like to sit down and talk to the mayors and the councils. So the urgency being shown is not as great to build the infrastructure as it is to bring the migrants in. And this is a problem, in my view, because uh, we risk going down the same track without any understanding of uh, how many people are going to come in, what sort of infrastructure we need, and we've yet to catch up with the infrastructure deficit of the last 30 years. The big picture here is and there's some more reports today of a response from Nanai Mahuta, the local government minister, to complaints about Three Waters, which, of course, the new Auckland mayor announced last night. He wanted the water care uh, council-controlled operation to stop all cooperation on the Three Waters reform process, not to spend any more money. Uh, that is what the Mayor thinks. Uh, he's yet to have it ratified by the rest of Council, which would um, have some sort of force uh, in law. Uh, but the issue here is that the government, uh, with Three Waters, is trying to solve an infrastructure funding problem that's created by um, a bipartisan policy of limiting the size of government to around about 30% of GDP, and not increasing debt by more than 30% of GDP. So the big picture here is the government wants GDP growth and wants to do what businesses want, which is to bring in more migrants, but at the same time is not investing enough in infrastructure to deal with all the migration when they come, isn't planning to increase infrastructure spending enough so what you'll often hear from the government and from the PM and other ministers is that, well, just look at our $30 billion plus plan for infrastructure spending. And that's true. The trouble is it needs to be $200 billion as specified by the Infrastructure Commission. And to be credible, it also needs to include so-called demand management tools. Uh, the idea is, is that you can't build your way out of an infrastructure crisis simply by having lots more motorways or railways for that matter, because they take so long to build, uh, what you actually need to do is to use congestion charging to reduce demand for some of these motorways. And you need to have mode shift, people moving out of their cars into other things. To do that, you need the government to actually bite some hard political bullets and do something on congestion charging and do something on mode shift at the same time, actually take some significant action to help the councils with densification. One of the main reasons they're opposed to densification and also opposed to Three Waters is that in effect, uh, this is a, a solution to get around this fundamental limit of 30-30, no more than 30% of GDP for the government's taxes 
and no more than 30% of GDP for the government's debts. And the attempts are to take these water assets off balance sheet and be able to borrow against them and increase water charges against them without the political permission to do it and, in theory, not breaching the government's own debt rules. This is, again, a massive case of magical thinking. We can have the population growth and the GDP growth and the, the wage-limiting growth of migration, and we can somehow do it without investing in the infrastructure to go with it. The end result is massive pressure on infrastructure, and the sort of outcomes that you've heard from the emergency medicine specialists earlier in this podcast. In my view, I think we should be talking about uh, our population plans, and this has been recommended by the Productivity Commission and by the Infrastructure Commission, that before we um, set our migration plans in place, or at least remove the settings without any sort of limit, we should have an agreement that goes across parties to uh, have, a, have a view of how much, how many people we want in this country. Have a, have a look again at my piece done over the weekend, uh, uh, which asks this question of how big we want New Zealand to be. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was my uh, Dawn Chorus, a podcast that goes out uh, daily with my email newsletter. Ka kite anō.